Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Michelle Perry may be an unlikely person to start a missionary orphanage in war-torn Sudan. Michelle was born without her left hip and leg. Yet despite all the challenges that she's had in life, Michelle has continued to fully rely on God and has gone on to be mother to more than 100 Sudanese children. Michelle is seeking to raise up a generation of revival through Iris Ministries. She's passionate about sharing the experience of God that she's had and has now written a book called An Invitation to the Supernatural Life. It's all about hearing God's voice, recognizing what Michelle says is the holy in the ordinary and walking through tough times with God. What a story. Michelle, welcome to Open House. Oh, thank you so much. It's a joy to be with you. And a privilege to talk with you. Michelle, as someone who's witnessed God move in quite miraculous ways, knowing your story, what has that taught you? Well, it's taught me how real and how present He is, um, regardless of our circumstances. And there truly is, um, I believe to quote um, Corey Ten Boom, there, there truly is no pit so deep that His love is not deeper still. The Bible story of Enoch has been an important one for you, Michelle. Why is that so important? And what is so important about what it teaches us about experiencing God in our daily lives? Well, I love the story of Enoch because um, he is, you know, he wasn't really remembered for doing anything like great, like he didn't have notable miracles that were written about his life, like some of the other patriarchs in the in the Bible. And um, but he was remembered for his relationship with God and walking so closely with God that at one point, you know, he just walked so far, God decided to take him, um, and he never even saw death. He just got translated into heaven because he walked so closely um, with who God is. And I just believe that is possible and not just possible it's absolutely necessary in today's world that we cultivate that kind of an intimate walk with with jesus yes michelle you were born as i said in the introduction without your left hip and leg how did you endure such a childhood something like 23 surgeries i think by the age of 13 that's right. Yeah, I had um, multiple, basically, death sentences medically. They didn't think that I was going to pull through numerous times. But, you know, God is really, really gracious. And in the midst of some of the darkest and hardest um, situations, I had a radical encounter with the person of Jesus. And I didn't have a theology. I didn't have a, you know, I didn't know all the stuff that you're supposed to know, whatever that is. (laughs) I just had some stories about this guy named Jesus who loved kids and healed the blind and walked on water. And I was absolutely terrified. And he sounded like a good guy to know in my circumstance. And so when I was seven, I cried out and I said, Jesus, if you're really real and you're really who that book says you are, that book being the Bible, um, I'd like to know you. And he appeared in my room and I have no explanation for it except that it was supernatural and it was him. And I saw him as clearly as I could see someone sitting in the room physically. And when I took one look, 
in his eyes. His eyes have more love than you can even begin to imagine. They're like oceans that you get drawn into. And um, that is what's carried me through um, the, the struggles and the things that I've had to walk through. This was at the age of seven. Yes. Can you paint more of a word picture of what that moment and what he looked like? Sure. Um, I had been seeing pictures of him in some of the children's Bible story books, and um, when I met him, he didn't really look a whole lot like the pictures, because the pictures that, that I was looking at made him look very Western in terms of very European-looking, yes. and he looked more Middle Eastern. He had a kind of a light olive complexion and, and dark brown hair. It was wavy to his shoulders with kind of gold streaks, um, just light gold flecks in it. He has, But what absolutely captured me was his eyes and his eyes were like perfectly placed mosaics of every color a human eye could be just little flecks of it and they were they were deep and they were penetrating and they were absolutely filled with love and it's one of the he has one of these gazes that you know that he sees the deepest most innermost part that you don't even have words for but he loves you completely even even with the things that have gone on that you know that you've possibly goofed up, you've made mistakes. Um, he loves you past all of your pain and all of your mistakes and all the bad stuff that's happened or is happening around you. And he promised me that if I followed him, I'd see groups of people who didn't know him in other places in the world come to know who he was. And that sounded like the best promise ever. I was like, sign me up. When do we leave? (laughs) (laughs) So how did that sustain you in the challenging years ahead? Because you've had so many challenges at so many levels. How did that experience sustain you? Well, you know, it was a process of learning when I was about 13. Um, I got to be very, I was growing in hunger and, um, and hunger for more of his presence. And I would read things out of the Bible. And by the time I was about 13, 14, I just was really desperate and saying, Jesus, you know, that one encounter was amazing, but I want to know you and hear your voice every day. And I had read a little book um, when I was, I think I just turned 15. And um, it was written by a Christian author by the name of Catherine Marshall. And She's an American writer that wrote back in the 70s, and she was writing about some of her dark moments and how she would sense the Lord speaking to her, and she would write down what he said. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she didn't just have one encounter. She sensed his voice every day. That's amazing. Well, if he talked to her, I'm sure he'd talk to me, too. So I grabbed my um, my pen and my biology notebook and got a blank page and said, okay, here I am. Jesus, I'm ready to listen to whatever you want to say. And I just sat there, and after about 30 minutes, felt kind of silly. Like, I don't even know what he sounds like, you know, other than that one time. And um, all of a sudden, this little, still, quiet voice that was almost would have been like a thought that I would have, you know, that I would have thought, but it isn't a thought that I thought. It was like something that came from outside. So don't worry, beloved, you'll hear me. And I thought, oh, was that me or was that him? And I was like, oh, if that's you, would you just give me a Bible verse or something? And immediately this reference in John um, chapter 6 pops into my head. I had no idea what it said. And um, so I opened up the Bible and I found it. And it's where Jesus was walking on the water and he calls out and he says, it is I, don't be afraid. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can hear him 
every day. And so I just started spending as much time as I could um, getting quiet and asking him questions and then writing down what I sensed he said in, in response and um, reading more from other people that had walked similar paths with him and just started growing every day. Your point about spending time can be a challenging one because it takes a great effort sometimes to set that time apart and especially to be still. Yeah, it does. But we make time for that which is important to us. We make time for that which is a priority. And, you know, it takes time to build a relationship. And I think some one of the challenges in our media-driven kind of instant message society is that um, so much can happen, you know, immediately. And God is asking us to, you know, maybe come away, come aside, and embrace um, a spiritual discipline of even setting 20, 30 minutes aside that is for listening and for listening prayer, because when you have a conversation, it's not just one way, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so fast forward the years, you become involved with Iris Ministries in Sudan. How did that happen and why Sudan? <laughs> well, a funny thing happened on my way to India. <laughs> um, well, basically, I, mean, I had lived in India previously and then spent a brief season of a couple of years back in the U.S. and was sensing that God was leading me back overseas. And while I was in the United States, I became connected with um, Heidi and Roland Baker, who are the founders globally of Irish Ministries, and um, just love their heart for the poor and for revival and for just God's presence and stopping for the one, and just that really resonated with the things that Jesus had already put inside of me. Um, and I saw a news special on our local like station here, one of the news shows, and about the children in um, in Darfur and in South Sudan and about the needs there. And just my heart was moved by compassion for them. And um, But it still didn't register. That's where I was called to go. And a couple of weeks later, I was looking at moving back to India as my time in the state had drawn to a close. And on literally, I was about one click away from purchasing my airline ticket back to India, where I had been before, and the Holy Spirit just so gently nudges me and says, um, Beloved, I love India. I'm so glad you love India, but can I send you to Sudan instead? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God, Sudan's in Africa. And he says, Yes, I know where it is. <laughs> and... Um, so I was in contact with Roland at the time, and I emailed him, and I said, do you have anything going on over there and, um, and down in the south? And he said, no, and, um, but, you know, we're very open to that. Why don't you come hang out with us? They have a training school that's amazing in Mozambique for about two months. So they invited me to come do that. And at the end of that, it was just kind of a unanimous consensus that, yes, God was in it, and he was calling. So... They said, well, we trust him, and, you know, just follow him. We don't, you know, have anyone to send with you. You know, we don't know anyone there, but just follow him and let us know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so, what a leap into I the did. future. Yeah. <laughs> On Open House, we're with Michelle Perry from the Iris Ministries in Sudan, who's also written this book, An Invitation to the Supernatural Life. So you find yourself there. What do you do, Michelle? <laughs> Well, I had first had to figure out how to get into the country legally. So I took a couple of weeks to pray in South Africa and then um, 
journeyed to Uganda, talked to a bunch of people who thought I was insane, because what's a little four-foot-nine white woman with one leg going to do showing up in a war zone? And um, <laughs> began to find out kind of some basic, you know, rudiments of how do you how to get into the country and that kind of thing. Got just miraculously got a permit to get in and hired a driver um, who was terrified because the road was frequented by the LRA at the time that we were on the Lord's Resistance Army, mm. um, one of the the group that is led by Joseph Coney, and very brutal, one of the most brutal rebel forces on the planet and we were driving on a road that was frequented by them and which i didn't know until later um the mercy of god sometimes you don't know everything until what he's protecting you from so you look back at it but i basically just turned up and rented a mud hut and started meeting people and um found some people that could speak a little bit of english and just woke up every day and said jesus what are we doing today what's on your heart for today and he led one step at a time and um within two months had been able to rent a very very um basic facility um but it was what we needed to start with and take in our first 12 children and throw everyone a big christmas meal and we got started and god did started doing amazing things from the the outset and really all i did was by grace show up tell me about those children michelle tell me the circumstances in which you found them and what you've been able to do for them well you know we're just we want to provide a family style environment and tried to make it um as deinstitutionalized as possible, you know, make it very family oriented and close to the culture, um, so that our kids are growing up with all of the benefits that we can provide them, but they're also growing up connected into their their home culture, so that when they grow up, they can be the world changers within the nation um, that are carrying the love and the kingdom of God wherever He calls them to be, and uh, so. We started with children that many of them uh, had been full orphans, meaning they lost both parents um, either to disease or to some of uh, the violence that was going on during the war years or just leftover violence that was happening. And, um, and a few of them were partial orphans, which means that they only had um, one parent, but another parent either was not able or fit to care for them um, or there was, they were just missing. They didn't know where they were. Um, or they were abandoned um, for various reasons. And we just brought them in and started loving them. And we being myself and my new Sudanese friends, um, and just watch God transform these little lives. I mean, shortly after opening, we had a family of little girls whose mother committed suicide um, and right in front of some of them. And they were broken and traumatized and just couldn't, I mean, they were just absolutely just little shells of what they were supposed to be. And we just the joy of watching God restore them back into uh, into the fullness of who they are. And that's happened time and time again. So in five years, um, we were able to move out onto our own land. We have a village that's still in progress of being developed um, for our children, 128 kids in our, um, in our full-time care. And then we have a primary school for 600 
um, some of ours and some from the community. Um, we've got multiple community development projects. Um, one of our oldest ones um, just graduated and had a year of medical training in Kampala's back, um, serving the community in, in that field. And um, more of our older ones are graduating and going on and getting, um, you know, skills and degrees and things with the goal of coming back and sewing back into the nation. And it just, it's a beautiful thing mm. to watch the transformational love of God in action. It's a wonderful thing to hear too. What is your hope, what is your vision of where these children will go and what will become of them in their future? Well, my hope and my vision is that they will fully embrace his vision for their lives, whatever that may be, whether it's being a wonderful mama to a family of children of their own um, or whether it's growing up and becoming the president. I don't think God really distinguishes about, you know, which calling is more important. It's are you walking in the one that he's written out for your life? And um, so we just want to help our kids fall completely in love with the one that loves them, Jesus, and um, follow him wherever he leads them to go and be fully equipped to walk in the things that he's um, put on their hearts to do. Through your experiences and in your book, you talk about hearing God's voice. (laughs) How can we discern God's voice from our own, Michelle? What would you say to that? I absolutely can, and I think that is one of the, um, it's really one of the big questions. Um, The really short, easy answer to that question is God's voice sounds like him, and it sounds like his voice. It sounds like if, if, you know, someone that you knew really well called you up on the phone, chances are you'd recognize their voice, even if you didn't see them. And I think it's important that we spend a lot of time um, letting him show us the scriptures and reading the scriptures through the lens of his presence and through his spirit to help us get to know what he sounds like. And, you know, it's really important that we study the real so that we can recognize the false. And a lot of people let fear of the false hold them back from even listening. And any premise that's based on fear, an ungodly fear in the kingdom is a wrong premise. And, you know, he is so much more committed to us getting it right than we are. So we don't have to be afraid of getting it wrong, even if we get it wrong. That's what grace is for. And as long as our hearts are set toward him, he'll make sure that we grow in the understanding and the ability to discern his voice from our own. One of many standouts in the book is, as I mentioned in the introduction, your point of recognizing the holy in the ordinary. Can you explain what you mean by that and perhaps tell us how you've seen that work in practice? One of the most important things we can do in our in our walk with God is to begin to recognize his presence all around us. Um, one of my favorite people from church history is Brother Lawrence and you know he was a he was a monk but he was a dishwasher and he became so attuned to God's presence that even in the midst of just he was just a lowly little dishwasher and people came from miles and wanting to wanting to have you know have talks with him and things because of what he carried because he was aware of God's presence and there was no differentiation between washing the dishes and uh, in praying and and what I've probably had the opportunity to walk out in Sudan um in really profound ways is to see that you know it's not more holy to scrub a floor or to hold a crying baby than it is to preach a message 
we, we have these distinctions that are, are very false um, oftentimes. And God wants to be present in every part of our lives. He wants to be able to speak to us metaphorically through a butterfly crossing our path. He wants us to be aware that he is with us every minute of every day. It's not just when we're doing spiritual things that all of life is spiritual, and he wants to be a part of it with us. When you were explaining your early days in Sudan, I was particularly struck by your point that God led you step by step. I think that's an important point for us to understand that we will rarely get a glimpse of where this is going to end up. That is an exercise of faith in following God step by step in anything. That's so true. (laughs) I mean, if I was shown what it would look like now, because we don't just have our base in Yay, we have multiple bases that, you know, through relationships with our Sudanese leaders that we've either started or um, partnered with that are in different locations all over the country of what is now South Sudan. And if I had seen that in its entirety, I would have been completely overwhelmed. I would have been like, what? But God didn't show me that. He just showed me the next step. And and it's been a trust walk. And it's been not always easy, but it's always been worth it. Michelle, is there one particular story of one particular child that you can relate to us, which demonstrates how God has worked marvelously as he has through your organization and through your work in the Sudan? One of one of my favorite stories um, to tell people is we had the LRA, again, the Lord's Resistance Army, Coney's group, that was very active in our area, especially in the early days. And in 2009, there was a band of alleged LRA um, that came very close to our compound within a mile um, and basically were massacring people. And you know, we didn't have any place to take the children that was a safer place, and God told us to stay and to worship, and He'd protect us, and He did. But out of that, um, out of that season, one of the families that were unfortunately victims of the attacks, um, we got a little girl named Charity, and all the other organizations in the area they didn't know what to do with her because she had watched her mother brutally murdered, and then was left for dead herself after being beaten and had basically a soft, squishy part on her head and was catatonic and wasn't talking, wasn't walking when she had been before. She was about three and a half when when she came. And we didn't know what to do. There was no medical capability to do anything that she would have needed there. Um, and she was with us for about 10 days, and we just held her and were loving and was praying and was really just trusting God to do what we could. And, and, you know, there was resources that came in for us to be able to take her for, you know, evaluation in a neighboring country. And, and just as we were about to reply on that, um, that provision, it was amazing. I went into town left her sitting where she was sitting. There had been no change for 10 days. And it wasn't just me. It was our entire missionary team, our national staff. I mean, our kids, everybody was just praying for and loving this this little girl and taking care of her. And um, while I was gone, just running errands, when I came back, I went to check on her. And she wasn't sitting where she had normally been sitting. Um, and I thought, uh-oh, what happened? And all of a sudden, I hear laughter behind me, and I turn around. And there she is, running and laughing and playing, 
talking up a storm with all of the other little three-and-a-half, four-year-old girls that were on our compound then. And she comes running up to me and throws her arms around my leg and looks up at me with this big smile and says, Mama! And I just just wasn't even sure what to do. And I kind of looked at her head and checked her head out. And what had been a large, squishy part of her skull on one side had closed into less than the size of of a quarter U.S. coin. And by the next day was gone completely and Jesus had supernaturally healed her from the inside out and she's now she's almost six not quite and is in school is doing really well and is growing up to to be a world changer for him what does that do for you when you have that (laughs) kind of experience well it just makes me realize that God loves these kids way more than I ever could and that he has he's in control and that there is literally, there's no horrible situation that we can go through that he cannot come in and redeem and heal and restore completely. Michelle Perry, you're an absolute inspiration. It's a total joy to speak with you and hear of your marvellous work. Thank you so much indeed for joining us on Open House, and we'll post the details of Iris Ministries up on our Open House Community Facebook page. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a joy being with you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.